Welcome to the Weird History Podcast. I'm Joe Streckert. This is an independent, listener-supported show. To support it, go to weirdhistorypodcast.com. It's October, and like I said, we have four episodes for you about the grotesque, the strange, and just today, the downright ghoulish. So, imagine being at a dinner party. It's been a good dinner party, there was lively conversation, and the meal is pretty much over. You're maybe gnawing on what remains of a chicken leg or having another slice of bread. There's a lull in the conversation, you take a sip of wine, and the host breaks the silence. The host says to the lulling dinner party, Hey guys, want to see the severed head of Oliver Cromwell? And suddenly the party, which was lulling just a minute ago, is back in full swing. People are pouring themselves another drink. Hell yes, you want to see the severed head of Oliver Cromwell. And your host says, good, good. He gets out a wooden box. He opens a latch. And he ceremoniously draws out a round object. You suddenly see that this desiccated sphere has a face. And the dried flesh is drawn tightly around it, pulled back around the eye sockets and the mouth. The receded lips make the teeth look longer than they really are, giving the decayed head a hungry, wolfish appearance. The nose and ears have mostly decayed, and wisps of dry hair cling to the top of the mummy-like scalp. Your host turns the head so that you might observe the hole on the top, and you see clearly where a spike was driven through the skull after death. You look once again into the eyes. The empty eyes. It's the face of a man who helped topple a monarchy. Had he wanted to, he could have been a king himself. But that's all over now. His head was taken from his body. A spike was driven through his dead brain. And here it is now before you. You look into the dead skull's orbits, making eyeless contact with the Lord Protector of the Commonwealth. And then you have another drink. Now... This actually happened. That thing that I just described was a real thing that happened at lots of dinner parties, and the head of Oliver Cromwell, Lord Protector of the Commonwealth, had all sorts of adventures. So, you probably have a passing familiarity with Oliver Cromwell. You know, back in the 1600s, England had a civil war. I'm not going to go into it here. It was a whole thing. There's a Clash song about it. It ended with Oliver Cromwell being the Lord Protector of the Commonwealth, which was suddenly a republic. Puritanism was a big deal for a while. And then Cromwell died in 1658. His son kind of sort of took over his job, though not very well. And in the 1660s, the English monarchy was back. It was a whole thing. Anyway, after the restoration of the English monarchy, it was time for some kind of symbolic and not-so-symbolic, executions. So, Oliver Cromwell himself, he was dead, but that was not going to stop the newly restored King Charles II from publicly humiliating his corpse with all kinds of ghoulish violence. So, Cromwell's living associates, they were, like, executed, executed. They were hanged, but then they were cut down while they were still alive, then they were disemboweled, and then they were beheaded and quartered. Cromwell, he met the exact same fate, even though he was dead. 
He was given a symbolic post-mortem execution, and here's like a gross detail to it. It took eight wax to actually remove his head from his body. So just in case you thought that beheading people was easy, it actually took a fair amount of effort to decapitate Oliver Cromwell, and he'd been dead for a while. Anyway, the bodies, both freshly dead and not so freshly dead, were then just kind of dumped somewhere. So to this day, we don't really know where most of Oliver Cromwell is buried. Cromwell's head, though, along with the heads of his former allies, they were dipped in tar and put on spikes and displayed on top of Westminster Hall in London, where they remained for over 20 years. So for around two decades in London, if you wanted to see what was up with the Lord Protector, you just had to, you know, look up. And there he was, staring down at you, a disembodied head on a spike. Because, I guess, King Charles II did not mess around. And the head would have stayed there for a lot more than 20-25 years had it not been knocked down from its spike by a storm sometime in the 1680s. We're not actually sure when, but 1685 is usually the date given for when Oliver Cromwell's head got dislodged from its resting place on a spike. And from that point, that's when a lot of uncertainty about the head's afterlife begins. Supposedly after that, one of the guards grabbed a head and took it home. Because, hey, free head. That's what you do when suddenly the severed head of a former world leader just kind of plops in front of you. There was apparently a reward for the head, but the guard, supposedly, thought that he would get in trouble for turning it in, so apparently just kept it in a nook near his chimney, or so the story goes. The story is a little suspect, because it leads into when the head next pops up, in 1710. There was a collector called Claudius Dupuis. I hope I'm pronouncing his name right. He was a French-Swiss guy, and I'm almost certainly saying it wrong. And he claimed to have bought the head from the guard who found it, who had it in a nook by his chimney for, you know, a couple of decades now. And Dupuis was displaying it at his Museum of Curiosities in London. So you could go in there and you could see all kinds of, like, wonders, including the severed head of Oliver Cromwell, which you used to be able to see for free, but now you had to buy a ticket from a French-Swiss guy. And this could have been total BS. It's totally possible that Dupuis just happened to have a severed head and was just passing it off as Oliver Cromwell's bodiless noggin. We don't know. And Dupuis, this sort of P.T. Barnum-type character who had, I guess, a ghoulish museum in old-timey London, kept a head as a curiosity until he died in 1738. After that, the head somehow comes into the possession of Samuel Russell. He is an actor, a comic actor, a comic actor who enjoyed drinking quite a bit. And he was a guy who apparently knew how to have some fun with a severed head. He was a fellow who got it out at parties, who invited all of his guests to, like, take a look at its eyeless sockets and, you know, hey, heft that thing, take a look at that spike hole in the middle, that kind of stuff. And this was apparently not great for the condition of the head. There was still a fair amount of flesh attached to it. And having a bunch of, like, drunken partygoers pass a head around and take a look at it and maybe, like, poke it in the nose or the ear or an eye or whatever. Um, yeah, 
not best practices for how you handle human remains. That was Oliver Cromwell's head for a while, getting passed around at drunken parties, and the old Puritan, he probably would have needed to find a fainting couch had he known his head would participate in such revels. Anyways, Russell was a man of the stage, and I imagine that his reveal of the head was certainly dramatic. And while I can't prove this, I really hope that at least he or one of his guests picked up the tar-covered, formerly spiked skull and said, Alas, poor York, I knew him, Horatio, a fellow of infinite chest and most excellent fancy. Because, I mean, if you're holding a skull, you're sort of required to do that, right? But anyway, Samuel Russell, comic actor, party host, guy who liked to drink, he was also the type of guy who incurred a fair amount of debts. He had a debt of 100 pounds to a local clockmaker and goldsmith named James Cox. And I would love to have seen this conversation play out because Russell said to Cox, Hey, buddy, listen, I don't have your hundred pounds. Really sorry about that. But tell you what, would you like the severed head of Oliver Cromwell instead? And James Cox thought about this, I guess, for a bit and said, Yeah, sure. I will take the severed head of Oliver Cromwell in lieu of actual real money. And he did. And it actually turned out to be a good investment. Again, the debt that he took the head for was a hundred pounds. Cox turned that around to 230 pounds. He sold it to a pair of would-be exhibitors named Hughes Brothers. And I guess the Hughes Brothers wanted to duplicate Dupuis' earlier success with the head. Dupuis exhibited it as a curiosity at his kind of like sideshow-esque, freak show style museum thing that he had in London. And Hughes Brothers said, hey, proven business model for something to do with an Oliver Cromwell head. Let's try that again. And they wanted to put on a traveling show where people would pay a couple of shillings to see Oliver Cromwell's severed head. It did not pan out. Their traveling show, based around Oliver Cromwell and his head, was not a success. But they kept the head. The head stayed in the family. They ended up showing it off to whoever wanted to look at it. And years later, after those would-be P.T. Barnums passed away in 1815, the daughter of one of the Hughes brothers sold the head. She sold it to a surgeon named Josiah Wilkinson. Now, Wilkinson, he was a doctor, and maybe he has a, like, slightly more professionally legitimate reason to buy human remains than, say, most other people. But the head remained in the Wilkinson family for another 150 years. And, much like the Hughes's, they showed it off to anyone who cared to see it. Um, I can't prove this, but I suspect that the doctor's family was slightly less drunk and less dramatic than Russell, who apparently used a head as a way to get a party going. Now, the Wilkinsons, they were the last private party to own the head. And before we get to Oliver Cromwell's head's ultimate fate, you probably have a few questions. Namely, how do we even know it is Oliver Cromwell's head? Is there any way to authenticate the head that showed up in the Museum of Curiosities in 1710 and make sure that's the same one that leered down on London on a spike for over 20 years. No. No, there is not. Also, you might have noticed a gap between Dupuis and Russell. So, 
The head's on a spike, gets taken off Westminster Hall by a storm. Something, 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 Dupuis has it. Then, Dupuis passes away. We don't know what happens to the head. Something, 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 Russell has it. Could Russell have had a different head than Dupuis? Possibly. That is a gap in the story, one we can't fill. We could be talking about one head here. We could be talking about two heads. We could be talking about three. We don't know. Now, the supposed head that ultimately got taken care of was known as the Wilkinson head because of its final owners, and it had a few things going for it. It was about the right age. It was, indeed, from somebody who lived at around the time of Oliver Cromwell. Also, when Oliver Cromwell was embalmed, he was embalmed in the same way that a lot of royalty and other fancy people were. That type of embalming was expensive and would have been uncommon. And this head, when it was examined, did show marks of being embalmed. Also, the head needed to have two big post-mortem injuries, beheading and getting put on a spike. It would have also been doused in tar and would have shown significant signs of being handled and worn from being the star of so many drunken parties. So the Wilkinson family allowed for an examination of the head in 1911, and the examiners who looked at it said, in their own words, that they had moral certainty that the head belonged to Cromwell. So according to the one actual report we have on the head's condition, they say, yeah, it's it's good old Ollie Crom. However, if moral certainty sounds like a weird thing for scientists to say, that's because it is. The two people that the Wilkinsons hired to look at their Oliver Cromwell head were a pair of eugenicists. So any scientific insight that they might have on the matter should be taken with a big grain of salt because eugenics is not real science. So sure, a pair of pseudoscientists said, yeah, sure, it checks out. But really, we have no idea if it was authentically Oliver Cromwell's head or not. And to make matters even more complicated, this isn't even the only potential Oliver Cromwell head. There was a Museum of Curiosities in London that, at the same time as the Wilkinsons, were claiming to have the Lord Protector's skull. So, at least one of those heads is a hoax. In 1960, though, the Wilkinson family decided that they didn't want to keep this rather ghoulish souvenir in their house anymore, so they arranged a head to be buried at Sydney Sussex College. Cromwell's alma mater. The head is now buried in the chapel, though its exact location is unknown. It's somewhere in there, but we're not sure. And the Wilkinsons and Sydney Sussex College, in an effort to keep people from maybe showing up and looking for, you know, a freshly dug hole or newly applied bricks or the type of place where you'd keep a secret skull, they didn't announce the head was buried there until 1962, two years later. Do I want to go to the chapel at Sydney Sussex College and go on a kind of messed up treasure hunt looking for Oliver Cromwell's head? Yeah, a little bit. Am I going to do that? No. That sounds like a great way to get arrested in a foreign country. But what I take from this, though, is how extraordinary Oliver Cromwell is. You know, he toppled a regime, he led a revolution, and even after he died, he really got ahead in life. I'm so sorry. That was terrible. Anyways, this, as always, is a listener-supported podcast to support it. And the terrible puns that apparently I end episodes with go to weirdhistorypodcast.com. I am on social media. 
facebook.com slash weirdhistorypodcast, and on Twitter at Joe Streckert. Thank you all very much for listening, and later this week, we're going to hang out with Dracula. Talk to you then. Bye. Bye.